So welcome back to part two. Uh, we ended our last session with the term or the word empowering yourself. I said, I love that term. And I came across it in some of your, your literature. Um, can we talk a little bit more? Yeah, let's do. I mean, firstly, I'm interested. What excites you about that word, Cara? Because I see your eyes sparkle and you get alive. What is it for you? Um, I think I, I have to acknowledge the fact that we spend a lot of time um, talking about negatives. And this is such a great word because it allows you to talk about a positive aspect to managing things. So empowering yourself feels like you've got control mm. and you've got the ability change hmm. so uh yeah it's a it's a great it's do a strong you, word it is i mean for you as a vet in that space do you feel like that's one of the things that has been discounted definitely um i think you know one of the great things about coaching mm. is it's an opportunity to reflect so mm. to, and also to see the blind spots yeah. um we we're very critical of the way we conduct ourselves we you know, we focus on the negatives and the complaints yeah. and the bad days and the cases we didn't get quite right. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably human nature and is relatable to most people. But we don't spend a huge amount of time talking about the positives. And mm. that's one thing that coaching does is that it makes you aware that you're doing a pretty good job yeah, yeah. and it's not all bad yeah. and that you have the capability and the skill set, um, although it may not be practiced, yeah. um, to, to manage difficult times that's just it that there's the resources and I think that is that that empowering yourself is like you were saying about the internal reflection it's about looking internally and realizing I am capable competence and whole which means that every problem that I have at my that sits with me in my consult room I do have the ability to find the solutions for it. It may not be evident now, but I do have the thinking skills. I do have the reasoning skills. OP has trained vets on how to think through diagnostically a case to get the answers that they need. And somewhere along the line, we get stuck. And I think it does have to do with the internal critic. I think the little gremlins that sit on our shoulders that have either come from our childhood or come from a parent or a lecturer, it could be from anybody who wants to discount the fact that we know that we can actually do this and that we have the skill sets to do it. So it's that self-confidence in myself because... So you can't rely on someone else to empower you. No, well that's, and, and that's, it would be so much easier yeah. if we could blame somebody else, right? Yeah. But the hard work has to be done within me. And you've just made me think about something now that I think is important to mention is that one of the things that we see that is closely linked to the empowerment part because to be empowered means that you've made that next step forward. But the, the space that holds before that is my identity. And we see so many vets, if I was to ask a vet, who are you? Mm. They go, I'm a vet. And then I'll go, no, who are you? And they go, I'm Dr. So-and-so. And it's very difficult for vets to separate themselves from the work that they do because it has been so absorbed and so, so ingrained in, in, well, into everything. Every day. I mean, you think about it. You drive home, you're thinking of your cases. Mm. You're in the shower, you're thinking of your cases. You're in the shops and you see your, your clients. clients. <laughs> They're hiding in the frozen You have a friend <laughs> and they message you about yeah. their dog or cat. Exactly. So. And sometimes the worst hours. And, um, and so what often happens is that if a vet has a bad vet day, they then think they are bad. My identity is now messed with. Now you couple that with a few bad vet days and now all of a sudden I'm a bad person. And then that becomes the spiral for the depression and the self-confidence starts getting eaten away by the owners who want to put you on Facebook and want to take you to council and all those different things. So is this why, sorry, I'm digressing a Not little bit. Is this why it's really important to select your 
your working environment to make sure that you're a good fit for that practice or I think it yeah, I mean, we've been talking about this. Or should actually, it make no difference? I, th- I think it does. And I think it has to do with the people that you work with firstly. I think you need to be around like-minded people. And um, just to finish off the thoughts about identity is that we actually need to see ourselves as I am a vet who likes gardening, who does DIY, who um, loves um, uh, I it could be CrossFit. It could, you, there are other aspects to us as individuals. I'm a mother, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister. And so when you are having a bad day, there are other aspects to your life that bring value. Your value as an individual cannot be only from what you do. Veterinary is what you do, not what you are. You do vet, you not are vet. I don't know. Like, what are you? Yeah. I'm a vet. <laughs> you exactly. Know? So there we go. So ingrained. That's part of the identity. Mm. My identity needs to be in that I am a balanced individual. I am capable, competent, and whole. I'm not just a doctor. And so when my identity becomes so hooked in what I do, it's as open to now being having pitfalls. Well, letting go. Yeah, yeah. And so it's about creating balance balance our bodies are designed for balance and so creating a balance in who I am is important in order to survive the ups and downs of of my work environment Mm. if I have a bad coaching day it doesn't make me days a bad person it just means I've had a that was a really crap day you know and and tomorrow it will be better but we've got to be careful that our identity is not rooted but going back to our practice environment I think it's important that vets and particularly younger vets understand that they are not just being interviewed for their skill set, but they need to interview the practice to find out if this is a, an environment they want to be in. And I think that we do need to have it that when you're in the interview process of finding a practice, it needs to be a place that you feel you fit in and gel with the other people, that it's an environment where you can grow professionally where they do um, have a lot of support and it's not just about pushing through the numbers and the patients, but it's also about the care. So you've got to understand you and what your values are as a person to understand if you will fit into that environment well. And is it a case of asking questions about that or do you advise actually spending some time? I do. Spending some time is important. And um, firstly, spending some time understanding yourself. So you you hit on the word self-reflection. And I think that is one of the biggest indicators of somebody's ability to grow professionally if they can self-reflect. Um, OP, you'll see they use a lot of like, reflect on this passage, you know, and they, you know, there's always like, reflect on this. But there's a skill in there, right? Because it means I have to look internally. What if I don't like what's going on internally? So I run away from it. So I sometimes have to look inside myself and go, do I even like me? Because how am I expecting to work with other people? If I don't like me, how are they supposed to like me? And then if I understand, understand myself better, then I'm able to understand if I will fit into an environment better or how I will land in that and how can I contribute to this team. That's or if there. it's toxic, whether you need to get out of it. Exactly. Because yeah. it's going to stunt your growth as a professional. And that's it. Yeah, and harm you, yeah. And that takes a long journey to come out of working with professionals, working with doctors and nurses who've been in toxic environments. It's a journey and it's a sad, They, you, it's preventable. I think you need to know that, yeah. So general employment, I know that you're part of that whole recruitment yes. process and yeah. you, you help business owners select key sort of team members in order for them to come in and be part of a team rather than having yes. the potential of another or a toxic person. Yeah. Um, so human code, yeah, there's two divisions. We've got the transformational, which is what I'm involved in. So it's the people development, it's the growth work within the, the 
people individually and as their teams. And then Ari uh, Penning is our industrial psychologist and he does all our transactional stuff. So he does the recruitment processing, he does profiling. So we are currently working on a profiling technique for toxicity to find out, are you employing a toxic person? <laughs> um, and as well as Myers-Briggs and other personality profiles that will tell you about this person that you're looking at interviewing for a position if they will fit your team. And, you know, you don't want somebody like everybody. Sometimes you need a person who brings a different skill set or dynamic Absolutely. to balance the team. So how do you know that? Um, and as well as payroll. So, you know, it, it offers the HR staff that usually can become problematic for practices. Vets at the end of the day want to do vet. They want to look after their patients. They want to find solutions to problems. They want to do what they trained at. But when you own your own business, there's so much else that comes that Absolutely. can be used. And you may not have business acumen. Or no. you may not have, have the, the capacity to exactly. develop that skill set. So Exactly. And so it's about being wise enough to know when to call and help. And people are who are good at doing that. And because we work exclusively in the in the veterinary profession, we're able to provide um, a real eyes-on understanding of what it is that practices need. And so we've got incredible payroll lady who, who sets us up. Ari does all the interviews. He goes and checks um, recruits. He does background checks, profiling. So we, we feel like we understand the profession well enough to know what is a good indicator and, and what's not. Um, and so we're excited about offering both because mm -hmm. very often the people problems can come from bad recruitment. And then also what happens when you, in the situation where someone doesn't fit your team well, and then what do you do? So, yeah. Absolutely, it causes more stresses and strains really on a does. really stressed and strained profession. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's talk about general health and well-being. Mm. Obviously, I, I always, um, you know, I come across a little girl and she's like, I want a dog, I want a cat, or whatever. I'm like, you have to, you, ha mm. you know, as a pet owner and I, yeah. understanding the benefits I have of yeah. having my own pets, I would always, if people are in a financial position to do it, would advise mm. them to be pet owners because I think it just brings so many benefits. What are your thoughts on, oh, on the... So, yeah, when we talk about mental health, um, I had a, I've had a personal experience with this where I think I totally underestimated the power of a pet. So we had always grown up with a home full of animals and recently I'd moved into a, a smaller home and I didn't have my pets with me. And there was definitely a loss and there was this space and this gap and then have now moved into a bigger property where I can have pets and my heart is so full. Like mm. I didn't realize, I knew, you know when you know you, that something's good for you, but then you have excuses why it's probably not <laughs> a good idea or you just don't have energy. And so we've, we've got our cute little cat back again. And um, it reminded me of why pets are so important, and, and particularly in a family dynamic. Firstly, it's so important for children to be raised with animals. Um, there is a component of compassion. Um, it's teaching children responsibility. It's the, the, the whole aspect of a family dynamic that, that things have needs and consequences and all those things that are important for child early childhood development. But then also even for older families. So we look at the elderly and we look at maybe families whose children have now left the home, they're empty nesters. Pets are important. And One companions. Of the, yeah, they, they are. So there's mm. a few, I mean, there's a reason as a companion. Um, the, the one of the main ones that actually feed directly into mental health is the touch aspect. So one of the things about human beings that's so interesting is we need to be touched. 
That's why a hug is so good. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> even if you even if you're not particularly a hugger, um, you'll still find that when you're feeling sad or you're not feeling okay, a hug makes you feel better. Is we're made for contact, we're made for connection, and animals provide that. So even for somebody who might be on their own, who doesn't isn't living with a family or living with other individuals in their home, having a pet is that ability to touch. We need to touch. And so um, it's just that contact with another another live being that is so important. And it's the touch, the stroke aspect. So there there is something in that. So if and you've had a bad day, go home and stroke your dog. Stroke your pet. And then again, like with animals, it's the purring of the cats. It's the mm-hmm. little noises. Those actually have been shown to lower our anxiety levels. Wow. Um, it's having something to care for. It's looking outside of ourselves. Again, when we become too internally focused, that's where opportunity for for anxiety and depression comes when we look externally so when i put my focus onto something like a pet or onto another human being or something else then all of a sudden my gaze is lifted and i'm no longer looking into you have self pity yes i'm that. looking out again okay. so there are so many so many good reasons why having pets in our home and i love what you said about responsible ownership because it's about being uh, you know, honest about what it is I can afford and how many. How many? And, yeah. <laughs> I once had a guy who said to me, oh, the food is so expensive. And I said, well, if you're feeding 10 animals, it will be. But if you had one, it would actually be fine. And then it's educating yourself and knowing how to look after your pet responsibly. I think all of that is coupled. So again, it's that responsible aspect that's important. And now a word from our amazing sponsors who make the Pause and Effect podcast possible. To make a promise implies trust. To make a pledge creates expectation. And to make a commitment initiates responsibility. For more than 25 years, we have made it our mission to take the ifs, buts, and maybes out of premium pet food. That's why our experts put the best science behind our food, so your pet's health is put first. That's why when you seek value, We strive to give you more, like protecting your pets with our free accident benefits. And when you need great tasting food, our fresh meat taste delivers. You see, what sets us apart is not one thing, it's all these things combined. Because we understand that when it comes to your pet's health, you don't want doubt and uncertainty, you want absolutes, the absolute best given your means, like premium veterinary quality food of real value that doesn't cost an arm and a paw. So rest assured that any claim we make, we stand by. It's our commitment to your pets and our promise to you. In fact, we're so confident in what we stand for that we have made the ultimate promise to you. It's called the Ultra Pet Promise, 100% money back guarantee, a no ifs, no buts, and no maybes kind of promise. We call it our satisfaction guarantee. Welcome back to Just For Pets. You're with Dr. Cara. Hi, Doc. It's Justin the Jack Ross here. And boy, am I itchy. Are you on a hypoallergenic diet? Hyper what now? Changing to a special diet will really help. And Just For Pets have a massive range. And flea and tick medication, special shampoo. Oh, how quick can you get some? Order today and we'll deliver pronto. I feel better already. Justforpets.co.za Vet approved, pets adored. Get it all to your door. Let's get back to our conversation on the Pause and Effect podcast. One of the things I don't want to lose the opportunity to yes. ask you is about 
pets and loss. Yes. Um, yeah. I, it's it's devastating, and obviously, as a professional, I would love to know how best to support my my clients mm. during loss. But also, as an owner, mm. um, we're very used to sort of suppressing. Yeah. Um, how do how do you advise we we tackle loss? So there's quite a journey that takes place for an owner when we get to the, the point. So I'm I'm not going to go through when you 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 give the best advice of knowing when it's time to put a pet to sleep but i think it's important for us to acknowledge the emotional journey that we go on when we have are going through that that sense so first thing is we all know that we will outlive our pets mm. so we do this it's called anticipated grief so anticipatory grief is i and i understand that at some stage i am going to be putting my pet down and then it's knowing it's i think the first thing is having conversations with your vet to know that you are making the right decision at the right time i do you think that some people maybe leave it too long? And then that's when the, the feelings of guilt start entering in. And so we've got to watch out for guilt and shame when it comes to putting pets down. And for a vet is understanding that that is very often the psychological status that an owner is sitting with when having to make this decision. Lots of guilt and shame. And, and so, it's a great opportunity to support your clients. Absolutely. And so there, are some, so there are some ways to do this. The first one is understanding the grief cycle. So the grief cycle... Um, is, is five steps. They can either take place in your consult room within 30 minutes or they can take months, depending, you know, are you sitting with that kidney condition that has now slowly been deteriorating or are you, you know, are you seeing your owner for chemo every week and now you've walked that step with that owner and now we've gotten to the point where euthanasia is the next step. So the first one is to acknowledge that there's going to be anger and the anger very often can be directed at you as the professional and at your professional team, but it actually is internally, it's an internal thing. The first, the easiest way to, to diffuse the anger that an owner will feel because the anger is coming from, could I have done better? Um, what if I had, I had bought it in for that lump sooner? What if we had done the x-ray and not the ultrasound? Or so, worst case when it's sudden and, you know, Yes, it, and it's, it's my some fault. sort of accident. Yes, or. exactly. So the anger is an internal acknowledgement that I've lost control. And so what you're dealing with is the fear of losing control. And the best way to subdue that is to go to the root of that and is acknowledge the emotion. So as a vet, when I see my anger getting, when I see my client getting angry, is going, I can see by your reaction how strong your connection is. The stronger the connection with the pet, the bigger the emotion will be. So if you can understand that dynamic, you can speak to the roots. And very often when you acknowledge the emotion, the tears come. And then the client starts crying and snotting and teary all over your mm -hmm. shoulder. Um, the next, the, another one is denial. So very often this is not happening. Um, usually that's the first step is... Um, this is, this is not happening if we just wait a little bit longer. Let's just see what happens. And you'll see that a lot of time the stalling of, of I, I, I'm not, and what happens for an owner is in this stage they ask a lot of questions. So you'll be bombarded with a lot of questions, but they're only taking about a third of the information you're saying. So you have to repeat yourself, go over and over and over again what you're saying, because then they, their body actually, sub, Subconscious, psychologically is their brain slows down and they'll almost tell you there's been a slowing down of time. Everything went so slow while you were explaining this to and me. And to explain it in a language that they understand yes. rather than using so technical terms don't use the frightening words. Yeah, don't use the highfalutin technical terms. Mm. It doesn't make you look more clever. It just makes them feel more stupid. <laughs> yeah. And then the next one is the bargaining. 
So there was that bargaining of, Doc, if, if only we had tried the different drug, if only, if only we had maybe gone and seen the other vet, if only I had come earlier, maybe I should have come after hours and I didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's this bargaining with themselves. We also see in the grief process, a vet will go through their own. So every grief process offers an opportunity for learning. And that's for the vet as well. Okay. You may find that as a vet, you will also go through your own bargaining um, cycle of mm, could what, I have done more? Yes. How what could if, I have supported them better? What if I hadn't? What if I had seen the Did linear? I miss something? Yeah, I didn't see the linear object, or I saw the linear object. I missed the parvo, and then the self. Now the bargaining starts happening within myself. Why didn't I? What if I had? All those kind of things. So we've got to be careful that as a vet you don't go into your own semi-cycle. You, so basically, you don't parallel with your client too closely, because you can often parallel in an emotional cycle with them. And then the depression. So the depression or the flatness stage comes in grief. Um, and this is normal. So we, we, you've got to anticipate that dip for the client, that there's going to be an experience of loss. And the thing about death is it's the only thing we don't have control over. And that's what's hard for owners. That's what's hard for any human being. Us as well when we mm. lose our pets, even as a vet. It's tough. I don't have control over this. Yes, you may be using the green injection, but... At the end of the day, it is still out of your control. And so it's that sense of loss and out of controlness that we struggle with. And again, it's in the state of uncertainty, in the state of not having control, what do I have control over? And that's feeling it. Feel the pain. Feel the pain. And I think we need to let owners know. I always say to vets, when you have a client who's sitting there crying, this has to be the place where owners can bawl and snot and so cry. So not, it'll be okay, None stop of, that. Yeah, that's it all. You know, when you see parents telling their children, big boys don't cry. It's not cry. so. Yeah, it's that's not, it. They find, they find, no, fine. you don't need to. Yeah. No, we cry here. This is a safe space to cry. We need to make veterinary practice psychologically safe for our owners. They need to be able to experience whatever emotion comes with loss. We need to be able to hold that space with them and be comfortable with it. And I think very often is, I'm. It's hard to get into that space with that person. Mm-hmm. And the thing and is, carry on with the day, functioning with your day. Yeah. So the thing is, you don't have to get in there. You just have to provide it. And it's just saying you can. You can be sad here. This is and, and normalize loss. Normalize because if they don't go through this grief process, they do get stuck. What I do need to iterate for vets is that it is not your responsibility that if an owner gets psychologically stuck, so they get stuck in their grief, they're not moving past that depressive state, is where you recommend that they go and seek help from a GP. That is not the responsibility of a vet. Your responsibility was to the patient. To the owner, it's really just to direct them to somebody who's more equipped to support them in that manner. But I think what often happens is because you've journeyed with this owner for so long, you end up taking on that responsibility. And so that's a good boundary to have out, is knowing when to go, I've, I'm here, but there are people who can support you better than I can, and I trust them with you, you know. And then the last phase is the acceptance phase, and that's where you'll hear the storytelling. So this is where the owner will go, oh, I remember Kiki when she was just a puppy, and we got her, and I remember those fluffy ears, and they start the storytelling. That's so important. And encourage them to go and tell the story of Kiki at home, and to tell the receptionist, and to... 
to go out and share their story of their pet because the more we gauge in the storytelling the better the healing is for us at the end of that grief cycle mm-hmm. and so or to share it via an email or a, yes, a or Facebook post exactly, or, or plant a tree yeah, or donate your time do something in that memory that is that has reality and, and meaning. meaning to you yeah oh. yeah oh that's lovely that's really really great and I think definitely we need to um practice this because yeah. it's a, it's a very difficult part of yeah. of our jobs people always say you know you must hate it because and I think you touched on it before you said it's sometimes more difficult when people delay yeah that inevitable and there's suffering associated with it then then to support people through yeah. I've um, never heard of it say that they've despised a good death no that's part of being a vet is providing a good death for the and we patient. are so privileged to be able to yeah. do that yeah so it's when it's it's that stuck it's that emotional stuckness that becomes the drain and also when it's delayed unnecessarily i think that that's a struggle yeah oh, definitely and your feelings on replacing pets because obviously we are asked that a lot and it's difficult for us to answer because i think it's maybe an individual decision but you know when do they replace yeah. their pet you know yeah. should they mourn through should should there be that that yeah. feeling um is it okay to to replace that puppy with a yeah. another if in the event of a, a terrible accident yeah. you know how long should people wait yeah. is there a right or wrong yeah, answer that's a, such a good question because I think it's so individual to each family unit and I think that's a good indicator will be is have we as a family gone through the grief cycle as opposed to are we um are we substituting our pain um, for some with something else so so very often is to avoid the pain of losing a pet we substitute it with another pet so that we don't feel the pain and I think we, if you're real with yourself of have we grieved have we done everything we need to do as a family to um, have said goodbye or to to feel that and then knowing I'm always adamant that that pets find owners you know, like when you think of shelters or animals that need homes, like I'm always adamant that animals find you, you know, they oh, find the homes they meant to go. And so your animal will find you at the right time. This is why my pets challenge me yeah. so much. <laughs> Thanks. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. They, they just know how to test me tearing things up. So I think, and I think having a conversation with your vets as well, you know, your vet journeyed with you. They also know what you're capable of. They know what your home can handle. I think also a lot of people maybe make choices in pets that maybe don't fit their lifestyle or maybe fit their so family. So emotional choices on, are they mm. so cute? Or? Exactly. Or we've always had boxers, so we should have a boxer. But actually, you know, we don't have the right family. We don't have the right space for a boxer. Mm. So I think keeping in touch with your vet about what is a good pet selection is also important and um, knowing you know what that type of breed or what that type of pet will mean for you as a family is important as well so speaking to your vet about the right decision is important to you I love that advice Thank you so much for joining yes. me today. You have given so many Yay. phenomenal bits of oh. advice and resources. Oh, Cara, thank you for your passion. Yeah, I mean, I, love I just it. love I love what you're doing. I could listen to you all day. You've got so much to <laughs> I think share. We've been forever. Yeah. But yeah, thank you for the privilege of sharing my passion thank and you. for what you're doing in the profession. Oh yeah, and it's all the lovely. best with your business, thank Human you. Co. Yeah, thank you so um, much. I think it's going to be a great success. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks We have an exciting announcement to make. We are looking for guest speakers who are passionate about the pet industry and sponsors to support future episodes. Are you an expert in pet training, nutrition or behaviour? Maybe you're a veterinarian with insights to share, a pet store owner with unique experiences or a pet product inventor. 
we want to hear from you. The Pause and Effect podcast is a platform for industry professionals like you to showcase your knowledge, experiences, and stories. As a guest speaker on our podcast, you'll have the opportunity to share valuable information, engage with our audience, and have your voice heard in the pet community. Whether you want to discuss training techniques, emerging pet care trends, or the importance of mental stimulation for pets, we want to feature you and your expertise. So, if you're passionate about pets and have something to say, we invite you to join us on an upcoming episode of the Pause and Effect podcast. But wait, that's not all. The Pause and Effect podcast is also seeking sponsors to support our mission of educating and entertaining pet lovers worldwide. By becoming a sponsor, you'll gain exposure to our engaged audience and have your brand associated with the love and care that we have for our four-legged friends. If you own a pet-related business, offer pet products or services, or simply want to align your brand with our pet-loving community, we'd love to partner with you. As a sponsor, your brand will be featured prominently in our episodes and our social media channels. It is a great opportunity to showcase your offerings to a dedicated audience of pet enthusiasts. So whether you're an expert in the pet industry looking to share your knowledge or a business seeking to reach a pet-loving audience, we want to hear from you. To apply as a guest or to inquire about becoming a sponsor of the Pause and Effect podcast, please contact me at drkara at pauseandeffect.co.za. Get in touch and let's discuss the various opportunities. Thank you for joining us today. We can't wait to welcome our future guest speakers and sponsors to the Pause and Effect podcast. Remember, every episode is an opportunity to celebrate our four-legged friends.